one, two, three punch for me for evangelization would be present the great story, present my story, and then invite them to understand their story. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm joined, as sometimes, by Dave the Bold Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. I like that one, Dave the Bold. Yeah, I hope that when I'm like, yeah, like, I hope that like, uh, like 200 years from now, I have a nickname like that, you know? <laughs> well, uh, I, I came up with your nickname because we're about to go through, through some listener mail and uh mary carlson it's, has the word boldness and that's all i saw <laughs> so i was like boldness bold dave the bold there we go I, yeah I when they it. write that when they write the epic poem of your life right when yeah. uh homer is summoned from the grave and he pens it uh, yeah. right now i'm listening to the iliad on audiobook uh oh, I think that's, like, that's my fa- like my favorite book of all time gomer oh it is incredible yeah. whoa whoa I it, it, it I just was got pretty it. life-changing for me which now? Which translation did you read? Did you read the one that actually rhymes, like it's a poem, right? That kept oh, the poetry man. of it. I don't know. No, I don't think so. You're, you're like that's my favorite book, but I don't know anything about it. Come well, on, what? does it I mean, rhyme? I, does well, it rhyme? No, I've I've literally I've even read some of it in Greek, Gomer. So don't you dare come it rain on my parade here. But um, wow, well done. <laughs> no, that well book. Done. I love that book. I had amazing teachers. They were all from Thomas Aquinas College, and. We read that book together, and it was it was borderline life changing for me. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible, and I'm I'm reading Tales of the Trojan War, which was a book published by Scholastic and Usborne to my son Noah. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, this is cool. It gives you like a little bit of the prehistory of the Iliad. Right. And then I'm right. on like chapter two, and I'm like, oh no, this is the Iliad. Okay, here we go. Right. <laughs> so right. it's been uh, so he's like loving the story. Of course, I do all these voices and stuff, but um. A buddy of ours, Thomas Yeager, worked at the Western Academy for a while, and all the teachers were given a copy of a new translation of the Iliad, which is does not preserve the the rhyme. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, and it 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 tries to preserve the the sense of it, and it's really well done, but it is it is crazy. So you don't have any of the rhyme, but you got the intensity and flourish of of Homer. As best okay. you can, and so so I think I think I I think the rhyming is what I I read. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I love that book though. I love oh man Hector and oh man those those are, you know who one of my favorite characters was Hesmon Ias. He's like the huge. Have you got how far have you gotten? I'm on book five, which is like a fourth of the way. Okay, so he's coming. Yeah. Oh man, that's exciting. Which side I is love he? it? Is he is he Trojan side or is he Greek? No, he's he's uh, he's Greek. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he's he's awesome. He's awesome. What is his um, name? Ias. 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 Okay. Yeah. He's like this huge. Yeah. Dude. It, Another he doesn't play a big role. People are always surprised when I say that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. You just like him because he's big. He's like Ajax. Yeah. Big? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. You're so predictable, Dave. Yeah. Speaking of uh, getting swole, how's your uh, workout stuff going? Not good, man. Not good. So I was down in Dallas, you know, that messed things mm-hmm. up and um I, I haven't been sleeping well. So that's like one thing that like really yeah. affects me big time. But other oh, than that, yeah. 
Hey, I have two things that I've been meaning to talk okay. to you about that you're okay. one you're gonna one you're gonna be really proud of me about. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, despise you. <laughs> no, no. So I'm so I'm slowly phasing out the sinner's guide, which has been like my website since the beginning of my apostolate, basically. Okay. Wow. Because now I have, you know, the Catholic truth about angels and demons.com and and that's for all that kind of stuff. And yeah. but then I thought Okay, well, I I want to have a place where I can dump all kinds of evangelization and discipleship stuff. Uh-huh. So, anyways, so I'm launching artofevangelization.com and I'm going to I'm going to dump everything that I say I'm going to dump on the podcast onto my website. I'm going to put it on that. And I'm actually going to do it. I made a list of all the things that I promised to listeners and I'm putting it on this week. So, <laughs> start with the list of all of those uh, monasteries yeah. and convents. That's yeah, where we yeah. Start. I, I actually did update that last night, so it's, it should be all ready to go. Um, oh, the art of evangelization or art of evan? Which one? Yeah, Maybe art of evangelization dot com. No, nice. Yeah, um, nice. So, um, and then the other thing was this. So, my son Sam is going into sixth grade, and uh, I they had us buy a Bible from the school um, and it was the, I think they call it the golden Bible. It's like a children's Bible. So I was wondering yeah. like why, you know, in sixth grade were they using a children's Bible? So anyways, the other day I, I went and bought it and uh, you know how it goes where like you open up a page and then all of a sudden like you just like fly through it, you know, like two hours go by, you don't even realize what happened. So yeah. I flew through this like children's Bible and I, I'm struck by like, I realize, like we we have to we really have to reclaim the Bible as a story, you know. Like, have oh, you yeah. noticed this? And there's like movements now, like with Word on Fire and with um, I'm trying to think of the. There's a Protestant one that like re has republished them in like really beautiful books now, where they read like a chapter book as opposed to like you know the way a normal Bible is set up. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I just, but you know, they'll use beautiful photography. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like I can't like we have we really we have to get back to that like what were we thinking you know and all of a sudden like a light went off in my mind that of course like for study and things like that you you know the Bibles that we use are good and everything but like the Bible was a story you know and and it is should be read that way and I think you know um, anyways I I I wish that we could get back to more the narrative of it you know and not so, not the fact yeah yeah. Well, no, let me just piggyback right off that and connect it to the Iliad. You see what I'm going to do here, right? Yeah. Stories, narratives is how we view life, right? And so my my favorite philosopher is Alistair McIntyre. And as I'm reading the tales of the Trojan War to the kids and listening to the audiobook of the Iliad when I'm in my car, I'm I'm doing this thing for Catching Foxes, which is called the September Challenge. And right now, Uh, For the month of September, I am trying to do a book a week, and I'm not going to be able to do it for this one book in my hand, Alistair McIntyre's Who's Justice, Which Rationality. Um, But the chapter I'm on is on Homer and understanding heroic culture, society, how they thought about things. But one of the points that he makes in his previous book, After Virtue, is that human beings understand the world and and action and everything through narrative right right we always understand things through narrative and the reason why things like the iliad and things like genesis are so important is because they are the stories from which we reason right they they form us in this so when people talk about you need to tell stories it's not just because stories are memorable it's because stories put doctrine in context and so one of the um 
things that I did on uh, one of the shows that we didn't have you on um, was I went through the art of Christian teaching, Christian, the art of catechesis, whatever, the art of teaching Christian doctrine. And um, Hoffinger in there, Father Johannes Hoffinger, he talks about when you teach children, right. start with biblical, start with salvation history. Start with right. the grand story of God from, from Genesis to today and the doctrine then the kids will understand, oh, this is like morality is the choice between right and wrong, the evil tree and the good tree, right? Like, and choosing the wrong sure. divides me, drives me, pulls me away from not just God, but also from Eve, right? The other, my brother, my sister, whoever it might be. And then you begin to see like the stories have meaning. But when Catholics don't know the Bible, and Protestants don't know the Bible for Jack either, <laughs> if if people that are coming in through my inclusion program are any indication, it's not just a Catholic thing. Right. It is widespread cultural illiteracy to the great narratives at the origin. And if you don't understand your origin, uh, which I, I believe, and this is kind of McIntyre's critique, if you don't understand where you come from and liberal modern modernity or uh, modern modernity. Um, modern liberalism desires to annihilate your history so right. it can form you. Individuals don't have histories, right? Families have histories. Cultures have histories. Peoples, religions, that have history. But an individual, I'm just who I want to be today. And that's either great for the state or great for business, but it's terrible for the human heart. And it's terrible for the Catholic faith. So you're absolutely right. Recovering and re-centralizing ourselves on these biblical stories is what communicates the living faith. Right. Yeah, so so this is interesting because we before we started recording, we were talking about like critical theory like in academia and one of the podcasts like that we both like and um we were saying like he had an episode about critical theory and 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 it seemed like he wanted to critique it, critique it and I felt like he didn't go far enough and yeah. Yeah. I think it's like and I think that was a big part of it that he he didn't want he like he didn't acknowledge the fact of the story the great story that we're in like there's no respect for the great story that we play the next page out in that which makes a big difference in someone's life and i i think like you know and he he made a comment about conservatism i don't know if you remember where like i don't want to just stop i don't want to just stay where i am and you know uh like well, we're getting way out of topic here but i'm on a soapbox now so like you know oh, Edward yeah. Burke like Edmund Burke, like, you know, the father of conservatism, right? He would say like, no, conservative change is not just stopping, right? That's not what it is. It's it's knowing the story well and slowly changing over time, right? Slowly changing over time. So when he said that, I was like, oh, that's not fair. You're not being fair to, right. to conservatism. And I'm not really defending either one. I mean, I will if you want me to, but I'm, I'm not going, I'm not <laughs> trying to do that. But I think that it was so grounding just to read through this children's bible and to read it like a story because it i i just realized like how much of my life even though i haven't tried to do this has become proof texting yeah and it's sad yes. you know it's sad yes i mean when i when you start to read and like the origins of where the narrative gets lost is because higher level thinking is abstraction right right like you right. abstract, you deal with the doctrines. Instead of talking about Jesus as in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and unfolding the narrative the way John does, what we end up doing is we study, you know, the concepts, the isolated concepts of 
uh, the hypostases and the fusus and like all right. of the right like and right. that is very necessary to do. But the problem is then narrative is demeaned. But McIntyre has this great, great example in um, in in After Virtue where he says like let's say you look over the fence and you see your neighbor and he's hammering some nails into some two by fours, and you say to him, "Hey neighbor, what are you doing?" And he can give to you a fact that literally gives you no information, right? Because we're right. obsessed with facts and facts. He can say, I am taking this hammer and hammering these nails into this wood. It's like, yeah. okay, what are you doing? Like, you haven't explained. There's no explanation right. happening there until you add a narrative. My wife complains that I, um, I'm always hiding in the den when I need to do work. So I'm going to build a little right. shed in the back so I can do some reading, you know, away, you know, whatever it is. Right. So when you, once you supply a story, that's explanation, right? Yeah. But as yeah. Christians, oftentimes, and you can, you can look at this from uh, like a criticism of the Baltimore catechism approach. Often sure. what happens is doctrine becomes here's the here's the the question, the answer, and the supporting details. Let's move on. But people will miss that there are a bunch of scripture verses that are included that gives you a sense of that history. But often right. what happens is they just give you like a like the char like the charisma, right? It's just a snapshot. God loves you, God created you, created all things, sure. be with our sin. So you're like Genesis one, Genesis two, Genesis three, now today. Right. And yeah. and uh, Bishop Barron makes that great comment. If you don't know the story of Israel, then you don't know what Jesus did. And right. you look at Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is written for a Roman audience, and it is filled with allusions to the Old Testament. So that implies that as they are evangelizing people in their communities, in their cities, in their towns, they're telling them the great story of Israel. And they're not just being like, well, there was this guy, Jesus, and he died for you. Now give your life to him. Or he's God, the eternal one. Now give your life to him. They're saying like God prepared his, they're going through the Genesis. They're going through Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomistic history of the kings and prophets so that people can understand. But when yeah. you talk with Catholics today, zero understanding. That's why Jeff Cavins' great adventure, it is like it is an adventure, and we can't see ourselves caught up in that if we just strip the faith to its doctrinal pinpoints and then everything else just kind of fades to proof text. Yeah, I know. I and it and uh, who'd have thunk it? It was just a children's Bible that brought me back to that. So how would but, you incorporate narrative into evangelization? Well, so I've already been doing it for a long time, right? So like, well, um, right. So like a, a pretty typical one, two, three punch for me for evangelization would be present the great story, present my story, and then invite them to understand their story, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, like that would be like- story evangelization. Which is basically the opposite of what a lot of people, right? Most people start with yep. their story, right? But yeah. um, but that would be like where I'm gonna. So I so I do that very often, you know, pr uh, pretty often with that. And I also almost almost exclusively use evangelization as con. I mean, I use stories as content, you know, for for evangelization. So that that's that's one thing. But um, but what I would say is like I want them. I want them most importantly to recognize the fact that their story didn't start the day that they like 
um, met a Christian or met me or started thinking about God, mm, that I yeah, want them to yeah. look at their past story and realize that God was pursuing them all along and drawing them along this path, you know? So like for a lot of times when I tell my testimony, I skip a lot of it and, and I do it specifically so that I can go back later and say, you know, that's not my whole story. Like I, I tell my testimony a lot about like uh, at a Steubenville conference, giving my life to the Lord. And a lot of times I do that, do it deliberately skipping the fact that two years before that I had just randomly picked up the book imitation of Christ and started reading it, you know, and, and that that's kind of started softening the soil of my heart, you know, and, and getting it ready because, you know, I, I literally use it as like a uh, narrative, you know, so. Anyways. Yeah, and if you if you begin to look at people's lives in the early church, one of the things that the martyrologies that we have that have come down tell the great story of these people's lives. Some of it's in a very abbreviated format, but these are people who um, they like. Uh, I think it was Justin Martyr. I, I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. No, it might have been Polycarp, where it was one or the other, right? Where they're talking about their story of how they were killed, and they weave like the narrative of the gospel through this oh, yeah, historical yeah, right. death. Like, so they'll talk about, you know, Polycarp writes his letter, basically telling them, don't intervene. Don't try right. to rescue me. Let me no, die. That, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And Justin. then he has that great line. Oh, that's Justin. I think so. Yeah. Uh, what he says, like, let my bones be ground like the wheat in the lion's jaws. And he's like connecting oh, his death. Oh yeah, it's Ignatius. Isn't that Polycarp? Go. Oh, no, it's Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah. but then, uh, so he's he's like connecting the Eucharistic sacrifice, right. And the you know, with, and the bread of life discourse with being chewed to death by lions in the in the Colosseum or wherever. And then you have uh, another martyr as he's being burned alive. The people write that it didn't burn his skin like normal, but rather uh, the fire surrounded him right. and baked him like bread. And so you, you like the the amazing thing is like as we communicate the faith with these stories, and always when you read the church fathers, right? Aren't you just overwhelmed with how they communicate incredibly sophisticated doctrine nestled within the stories of scripture? Yes, like yes, I, I, yeah, and every I'm, time I'm, I want it back, I want it back. Do you know why, hmm. Gomer? Can I just tell you why this happened? This predicament that we're in of like high level theology where you can't even understand it there there weren't really theologians back then there weren't pastors right you know what i mean right like there really wasn't so like you know i think it was baron he had like something about augustine and he was saying like augustine had a diocese of like maybe 400 people like are you (laughs) kidding me you know like i have more more than that you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. it's amazing to think that like that's the way he was thinking as a father would think for his child, you know, and and I'm not criticizing theology, you know, I I, I would, you know, I, I I benefit greatly from from it, but I'm just saying, I crave that once again, like the people who can can tell us the intricacies of the incarnation or of the sacrifice or of redemption or atonement using the great story, like that yeah. is. Man, yeah, I long for and, it. And okay, so then connect that with Scott Hahn, right? Dr. Scott Hahn, professor for decades now at Franciscan University, has New York Times bestsellers under his belt. If you ever hear right. him give a talk, what he does is tell you, especially his like mostly like key talks, like the Lamb Supper 
the Hail Holy Queen stuff, when he's doing his apologetics and his right. theology of, of the assumption, it's always what he would call a detective story. It's always, right. I opposed this as a, you know, Reformed Church, hardcore Presbyterian. I oppose all this popery and nonsense. And then I discovered, you know, the fathers. And then, right. I, and as he weaves, he has these incredible stories. One of my favorite is the Feast of the Assumption. Uh, he It was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And he was over at a buddy's house who heard that he converted to Catholicism. And I think this was the same friend who counseled his wife to divorce him. Right. Because he's now pagan, he, she had grounds to, he deserted her, basically. And so he's at this guy's house. He's staying overnight in their debate. And then they go into the Assumption of Mary, and he can't think of a single single scholarly book that can argue the Assumption of Mary adequately. And so he's asked, he's like, what is today? And he's like, it's December 8th. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I have to go to Mass. Like, he totally forgot that it was <laughs> the, the feast day. And so right. he goes to Mass. He finds him at, like, an airport church or something crazy like that. Other side of town, he goes in, goes to Mass, and he stops to talk to the priest. And the priest is, like, really rude. And he says, you know, like, hey, I do you know anyone, like any books on the assumption? And this priest is like, well, there's only two. And he starts breaking down. And this guy has like an encyclopedic mind of it. And he goes, there's only really one book and it just went out of print um, that's popular and, and can hit like, or that's scholarly and can hit what you're looking for. And he goes, wow, how do you know this? And he goes, because I wrote it, kid. And he gives him like, he <laughs> gives awesome. him uh, 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 two copies, one for him and one for his friend. And he signed it in Latin uh to jesus through mary yeah but it's like this story that's so gripping and then he tells the doctrine through the story right and then yeah. and so you're learn you're literally memorize okay and here's my last thing and i'll get off the soapbox so we can start the show um <laughs> what is the best way to learn the life of jesus and mary it's through praying the scriptural rosary like all the major events, one of the best ways, right? Well, all the major events. I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up praying with my dad and my mom the scriptural rosary. My dad had this little book given to him by Father Maurice in 1965, and we'd pull out his Knights of Columbus rosary, and every day, every evening, we would pray five decades of the rosary. We'd pray a whole mystery, and we would pray. And so the so I say this because last week my daughters uh, are doing in their uh, religion class, their faith formation at home, we're going through the life of Jesus and Mary, like the early life, the life of Mary. And so right. as they're breaking that down, you know, 90% of it, you know, obviously Anne and Joachim isn't in the, you know, the joyful mysteries, but 90% of it is the joyful mysteries of the rosary. And I'm like, holy moly, my kids don't know this backwards and forwards like I do because I prayed the because scripture the verses. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so they knew, sal I knew salvation history, at least the New Testament part, through the praying of the scriptural rosary, in you know, first the joyful, then the sorrowful, then the glorious. I'm hearing scripture. I know the doctrines. I'm hitting all the stuff. Oh, if men treat the wood like the green wood like this, what'll happen when it is dry? And all right. those words and phrases that were so weird to me when I'm in the context of the Good Friday liturgies and you hear these things or Passion Sunday, you hear these things, you're like, oh my gosh, I know exactly where we are. And now my kids, so we've been doing that now. And uh, my kids, I feel like, are worse than I was in terms of staying stable and still to pray five decades. So we just do one decade, and every week is a different mystery or a different, you know, decade of the mystery. Yeah. And um, so, whatever. Uh, so it, it, 
I'm trying to t- communicate that very narrative because just taking the abstract doctrine is not enough. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think we have to, we have to go back to this. And it, this is what, I guess this is the part that's probably lacking in catechetics programs and stuff like that is th- like the, the emphasis on delivery, like how it's delivered, you know? Yeah. How would you, if you're giving a talk, let's say you're giving a talk on yeah. and someone says, hey, I want you to come and give a talk on the communion of saints. Okay. In your mind, and I'm not saying that because I have to give a talk on the communion of saints in an hour and 10 minutes. How would you begin to craft narrative with the communion of saints? Would you tell the narrative of saints' lives of yes, the yes, biblical? Yes, 100%. Okay. I would immediately go to St. Francis of Assisi. There's no question in my mind. <laughs> and I w- it would go like this. The, the story of St. Francis of Assisi. And then I would say, the first time I ever read the real life of St. Francis of Assisi, it was the first time I ever saw God being loved the way God was meant to, being loved, to be loved. And then I'd say, that's the purpose of the saints, is that they show us a love that is worthy of our creator and a, a generosity towards God that is worthy of he who is generous, right? And then I would go into the doctrine after that. Oh, I, that there's, is awesome. There's no, there's no question in my mind that that's exactly what I would do. That is awesome. That is the opposite of what I would do. Why? I tell us, well, not, not, be, no, I think yours is better. I think yours is better. I'm just saying what I have planned. But for I've my, heard you speak before. You, you, you're better at wrapping things in stories than I am. Well, it's so funny that you say that because I'm literally known as the non-story guy when I give talks to high school students. But okay. I tell story. I tell like so. For instance, in doing the communion of saints, my story is I had uh, me and Luke right, from Catching Foxes. Luke, he um, when he was at Franciscan his freshman year, he wrote on Five Iron Frenzy, which is a ska band. He wrote on their message board about why they should all have a love for Mary and it doesn't take away anything for Jesus. And he had no idea that talking about Mary with Protestants would incite a rebellion. Right. And so right. he, so there's like within an hour, there was like a hundred comments. And so I go and read them. <laughs> and a lot of it was like the standard stuff against Mary. Like you worship Mary, queen of heaven is a pagan term, like all this stuff. Right. But then it goes into bizarro world as people are building off of these comments. And it was about like the incarnation. Jesus had a perfect genetic code because sin is the origin of sin is in right. faulty genes. And then another one said uh, that Mary never conceived Jesus in her womb. I don't know where you're getting that. Jesus right. was perfectly formed and placed in Mary's womb. And then she had him like a week later. Um, and it was like <laughs> these bizarro things. And then I remembered and so as I'm telling this story, I go to uh, – I'm starting to make these connections for people as I'm telling the story. But I went to adoration at Francisca. I went into the port and I prayed. And I'm like, where do I even start with this? And then right. I heard the noon bells and it's time for new mass. So I go to mass, had no idea, Feast of the Transfiguration. The gospel is read and I pull a pen out of my pocket and start writing down literally dozens of scripture verses that came into my mind. Dozens. Uh, awesome. Like instantly came into my mind, my arm, my forearm, my hands. I wrote all this stuff down and I walked in and I'm like, Feast of the Transfiguration. Here are two dead guys that three living guys, Peter, uh, James and John, see through Christ Jesus. And they are actively talking to Jesus about his ministry. One gospel says about his exodus, which is pretty important because that's Moses and Elijah. And so you see all this stuff unfolding. 
And you're like, well, this is a communion of saints right here. Those who are dead are not dead, but they are alive in the eyes of God. After all, didn't Jesus say to the Sadducees, it's not the God, the God of the living but not, and not of the dead? For he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? You have this, well, if St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we're united to Christ, that not even death can separate us from our love for him. So therefore, people who are united in the body of Christ, even if they're dead, they're still united to me in Christ. And if we are individually members of the body of Christ, we are individually members of one another. And I can ask you to pray for me. And all this, and so I just went off on this whole thing. And right. that's how I start to tell the story of the communion of saints. I don't start with nice. the story of the saints. Okay. I start nice. with my story, right? I don't tell God's story or a saint story. I tell my story. So I don't know. I like, I like, I feel like that gets people like, it's kind of like Scott Hahn's detective story, right? I was on the struggle bus with this doctor and, Here's how I wrestle. Here's a crazy story about it. Now let me tell you. Well, it certainly like gives relevance to the doctrine because something like communion of saints is not something that people are like, I have to know about this, you know? Mm-hmm. So it gives like some relevance to it. So I, I, th- I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This, this has been, this, this turned out differently, huh? This episode. It, did. We it sure expect. did. When you said but, narrative two weeks ago, me and Luke started talking about narrative. Yeah. And when you said narrative, I was like, whoa, whoa, I've been reading about all this stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's and and it's just like um, it kind of put it clicked for me, you know, that like, what are we doing, you know, with this like proof texting and 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 just so much of it going around. And, you know, even like I think with Catholic doctrine, um, I have learned so much more from church historians than I have from theologians, because I think it just it has always helped me to understand why certain lines were put in, you know. So, for instance, like right now I'm taking. I, I can't remember the, the exact name of the class that for my master's, but um, it's 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 one of the dogma classes, right? Um, and uh, he's talking about like different lines uh, from Lumen Gentium, and he for almost every paragraph gives a little bit of the history of the paragraph, you know, yeah. and that is so helpful because you you can read it and be like, what? Like why why is this so verbose? You know. And then you like hear the history of the discussion and you realize, oh, this is exactly what what's what happened here and this is why. And it just kind of turns the diamond for you a little bit to see a, a new angle of of what's out there. So when I became a youth minister and I was teaching, like I really wanted to hammer home for the kids an understanding of the Trinity and uh Christology. Right? Like okay. to me, when I understood the right. reality that if you were to ask a hundred Catholics, what does the Catholic Church teach about God, they would give you a hundred different answers. Right. right. And I think of all the people who died <laughs> to lay down their lives for the doctrine of the Trinity and for the incarnation and hypostatic union. So I was like, okay, well, how do I teach this? You teach it by telling the history of the Council of Nicaea and right. Chalcedon totally. and <laughs> Ephesus. Right. And then, but the funny thing is, but then you really want to narrow down, like, Okay, so you have Jesus, and then the original fight was over, is Jesus truly God? And this is where you get in the creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. And so I would tell the story of the Nicene Creed one week to lay out, yes, we believe that Jesus, before he was ever the incarnate son of Mary, he was the eternal son of the eternal Father. So week one was the story of the incarnation. 
or uh, yeah, yeah, uh, no, the story of the Trinity and the Council of Nicaea. Week two would then be laying out the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, three three persons, one nature, and laying it out so that they really understood it, and and then going through the creed. Then week three would be all right. What does it mean that Jesus has a human nature? Is he a havesy? Is he like right. Hercules? Right. right, right. But then you begin to go through and you walk through the later councils. And the to me the funniest thing is like you go to Mon Okay, okay, okay. We so we know that Jesus is two natures united to his one divine person, the hypostatic union. Does he have a human will if he has a divine will? Does he so you go to monophysitism, monothelitism, right? right? right. <laughs> you start going through it. The to only a thousand way more. to come Right. The only way to communicate that stuff is to tell the story. Right. And it, this was backed up for me a few weeks ago when I was painting my wife's wall um, for the homeschool room, a chalkboard paint. And I'm listening to a book called The Shallows, uh, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And he's talking about, maybe in the second or third chapter, it's pretty early on, he's talking about neural plasticity. Yeah. And before he tells you, yes, your brain, you have neural plasticity, your brain can relearn things and take on, you know, whatever new shape, new form. He lays out the history of the science and the history of the arguments saying like, you know, oh, once your brain is formed, it can never be changed. And actually Freud said this and maybe that should add to it. But that was rejected until this and that. And now you like learn so much more to the point where reading McIntyre, he says, you don't really know a thing until you learn the history of the thing. Right. And, and, and really his, through history is the only way to teach doctrine. And I was like, holy crap, that's amazing. I'm sold. Yeah. Let's do that, it. That's a, that's a big thing for classical education, you know, to study the history of something. I remember thinking it was so strange that, you know, I remember saying to my classical teacher, like, I've struggled with math my whole life. I'm so worried about this year. And he was like, oh, we're just going to study the history of algebra. You'll be fine. And I remember thinking, what? What do you mean? Like, that is bizarre. But it really, it, it changed everything for me, you know? Um, but hey, speaking of fanciful stories with regards to doctrine so so i mean certainly <laughs> certainly um the it, like incarnation has the best stories in church history certainly like there's no question right those those councils were epic there were people fighting there were people you know it, there were it was like like if ever there was a time that was worse for church crisis it was that time you know where everyone was was uh Aryan, you know, and everything like that. But the Immaculate Conception, have you ever heard the history of the Immaculate Conception? Uh, I don't think so. So it, it's debatable whether how big a part of the history is with this, but part of the doctrine, the naming of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception started at an exorcism. And it was amazing because at a parish mission, right? Uh, these two Dominican priests encountered this boy who was possessed and they kept making, they, they were demanding that the demon uh, express like the, the um, incredible like beauty of Mary and all these things. And the demon um, basically says a poem about Mary and the poem is written down and sent to the Pope. And it had a, had an integral role in the, in the actual proclamation of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Isn't that crazy? That is weird. Your, no, your world cool. is not my world, Dave. That what is so cool. Every, no, that, of that's, course that's not my world. It's just, you know. 
This is my. I'm just hanging out with exorcists all day or day. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I just not. I just have this image of you being the real life version of the DC comic book hero Constantine, but less. I don't, I don't know stuff. what that is. I don't know what that is. Oh, he's like the guy. He's like the guy that he fights like the demonic spirit world. Oh, and yeah, he has like his he has a shotgun in the shape of a cross, so he can you know, and he he'll get possessed <laughs> and then pour holy water on his head. Like this is you know this, all this. This is crazy. That's you. I'm, that, no, that's, that's you. not. It's nothing like me. Keanu Reeves starred in the movie Constantine. <laughs> Come on. If once Keanu Gung Fu Reeves can can do that, I mean, yeah, God is here. God well, is here. Well, just we kidding. just pulled an episode out of narrative, the topic of narrative. But I think it's important. <laughs> I think it's a it total, is. you know, an important topic, particularly for evangelists. And um, I, I think I would just end by telling uh, like a really, a really easy story uh to get why this is so important for evangelization so um you you remember going where i used to work in catholic fundraising i was like yes. uh, uh in development yeah. and <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah I, I didn't love it but you know it was always it's important you know fundraising is important so anyways there's a guy in the fundraising world and i might have told this story before but his name's jerry panis and he is like the guy, like everybody knows him and like reads his books and like he's like the guy for fundraising. And he was like giving a class one time that I happened to be at and um, he said, you know, it's all about the story. He's like, the cell is all about the story. The cell is all about the story. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, and he said, he's like, everybody in the room and there was like 14 of us in the room. He's like, I want you all to think of like your favorite childhood memory. And so everybody's like thinking, he like gives you a long time, like a long pause, right? And he is like, well, you know, and he goes around, he says like, what's yours? And somebody says like going to the beach and somebody says this and somebody says that. And he goes, you know what mine was? He's like, you know, mine was when my dad taught me how to ride a bike, you know? And so he tells this story and he's like, you know, it's amazing. Like, and it's, it's something that's common to everyone in the room. That was what's, what was important about this. He's like, you know, you're so shaky and you're so scared and and your dad's running behind you and you're worried about it, but you also want him to let go and you feel that all of a sudden you see you let go and, you, and you're doing it and you feel that freedom and that incredible rush and the wind and everything. And, you know, it's just amazing, like how, how to feel that way, you know, and, and it's incredible. And, and it's that moment of bonding between your dad or your mom and you. And he's like, do you remember that? And everyone in the room is just nodding their head like, yeah, I remember it. I remember it. And he's like, and the next thing he said is, you know, I've been I've been raising money for wounded warriors, and so many of these men are, aren't going to ever be able to have that experience with their kid if we don't help them get the support that they need. And he was like, "Who wants to give?" Yeah, right. I mean, it was so incredible, and it wasn't manipulative. Like, it really wasn't in that way manipulative. It was more just like, "Wow, he took us on a journey." And I think, like, if we can really like tell the story of like what happens in our life. And if they're on the cusp of, of kind of like, Oh my gosh, what happens next? And we can present that the answer to these issues, the answer to these problems is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like it is effective. It is. And it's not manipulative. You're not tricking them. It's not, it's not like dramatic irony. It is just telling the great story of Jesus. Cause it's true. You know, you're not, uh, you're not beefing it up at all. It's just a true, very dramatic story. Yeah. Oh, oh man! Now I want to give to the Wounded Warrior Project. <laughs> Never forget. Never well, I forgotten. Don't, so that's weird. So I mean, I, now I feel bad. But 
No, so. and then you got Donald Miller. He's he's written some books about selling a narrative and all that stuff that uh kind of like from a Christian perspective. It's all very interesting. It's all interrelated. We are man is a storytelling animal. And the more we rely on abstractions, I mean Albert Einstein said you know, what can we do to to train our kids to, you know, think more mathematically? He said, read them fairy tales. And when you're yeah. done, read them more. And yeah. it, it's very important because that's how it's not just that fairy tales tell a moral. And this is the beautiful thing about like a Jungian approach to mythology. Myths like the Iliad, these mythological, the mythological way of telling origin stories is not just Hey, here's our pre-scientific stupid brain trying to figure out how lightning works. Right. Oh, Zeus is right. angry. That's right. a not at all what myths are. No. Myths are like deeply inset rationale for acting in the world. Like it explains action, right? It explains itself. That's why the very first word of the Iliad is rage. Achilles is rage, right? Yeah, I love the it. whole right, and so the whole even the movement of the gods and the story and all this stuff explains action, and it's the rationale and the understanding and everything behind action and how you see your action in the world. But without those stories, you're just hammering a nail in wood. You're not building a separate office to give your wife back her den. You're just hammering it, it. There's no point to it. There's no beginning, middle, or end to it. Right. And that's the fascinating thing. That's what we're fighting for. Christianity gives us the grand sweep of a beginning and an end. And right now we're in you know act two of the grand play. And we, we know where act three is going to end. But the question is, are we on the path, the way, the journey towards that end? Or are we going to the other one? Right, like it's this grandiose tale that you can't help but realize it is the great adventure. And I really hope a center press puts in the great adventure in their ad for this show. That would be very, uh, very, <laughs> very powerful. But that's what I'm saying. Like, this is this is what gets me excited about life. Also, I'm going to give a talk in an hour, and I'm sealing everything you said about the communion things. Hmm. You can try. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was Chesterton, right, who said that we tell stories about knights defeating dragons, not to prove that dragons are real, but that they can be defeated, right? And I think that oh, kind of speaks that's to so your awesome. Point. Yeah, but the the ma most amazing thing, Gomer, about all this is like what you just said. It, I was like amening the whole time, except for the fact that <clears throat> Christianity extends beyond myth, right? I mean, it's amazing. That's what's amazing is that it like Chesterton's. His his quote is true, but in our case, dragons are real. Like like it is real, you know. And we are fighting and that, and those kinds of things, you know. So it's it's just amazing. It's a it's a yeah. Beautiful. That's that's C.S. Lewis. That's C.S. Lewis. He said, "I have spent my to say that the gospels are myth comes from modern minds who do not know myth. I spend I have spent my entire career studying myth, and I can tell you this: the thing in the Bible, the things in the Bible that are mythological." You know, uh, or there are definitely things in the Bible that are mythological. He said, but the difference is in Christianity's case, the myths are true, right? It's yeah. still written in a mythological way, right? Which was an ancient way of telling stories, especially the most important stories. It's literature. It's not science. When you try to make literature be science, you're ruining the literature and the science, right? But the idea is it communicates a deeper truth. But now it's not just made of stories about 
Hercules and, you know, uh, Aphrodite and Helen right. and, you know, all this stuff. It's it's actually true. Like, you can go and visit the sites. You can pay a bunch of money and fly over there, and you can stand where Jesus stood. Yeah. That's awesome. the power. Yeah. When the, when the narrative itself is true, when the myths become alive, like, wow, there be dragons. I like that. Amen. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, we're going to go away for a moment, uh, and listen to a, an ad from our friends at Ascension press. And, uh, like Gomer said, hopefully it'll be the great adventure Bible study. Uh, but who Maybe knows we sold how that this, it's, it we might sold be, that it might enough. be an algorithm or something like that, that, that chooses the ads. But when we come back, uh, we'll just have some departing words for you. And, uh, and as always, if you want to get a hold of us, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Need Shall Bow. Thanks to our good friends over at Ascension Press for putting up with our shenanigans. Y'all are great. Uh, we got three practical takeaways today. Dave, why don't you start us off? So number one is um, pick up some kind of fiction, right, uh, with the Christian themes in it. So we're talking about Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, um, Narnia, and Lord of the Rings. Or you could do like something from Chesterton, like The Man Who Was Thursday, Something like that. Um, uh, and and take a look at, you know, the power of narrative in that. Maybe start reading it. Maybe uh, if, if you don't have time, maybe watch a movie or something like that. Um, but, you know, just see how powerful it is at expressing just the Christian, the great story of Christ. Following right from that, what I would love for you to do, and this is not just for the catechist or the, you know, DRE or the priest. Take something of church's teaching, right? A, a doctrine. Take a doctrine and unite it with a narrative. Now, this could be a doctrine that you're on the struggle bus with and you want to research it a little bit more. This could be something that you're super passionate about. You just want to um, understand how to communicate it better. So apply narrative to the doctrine. And, you, you know, you can use biblical stories here. We're not going to limit you. But really try to do this, right? So I'm going to sit down and prepare a talk in, in an hour, stealing from Dave. But I have a handful of stories that connect the dots between A, B, and C, right? So you take that with a doctrine of the church and do the same. 
Yeah. Awesome. And number three, Gomer mentioned how uh, integral in his life the scriptural rosary was. So jump on Google and Google the scriptural rosary and sometime this week, take some time to pray the scriptural rosary. Awesome. Thank you very much. This has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your practical takeaways. I know that that we just gave you like uh, essays to do, but it's worth it. It's worth it to systematically arrange your thoughts, your memory, your imagination for the glory of the Lord. So everyone, uh, God bless you all as this September rolls on through. Adios. God bless. Bye.